Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Praise the Lord. Okay, now we are at week five of our Raising Samuel series. And today we're going to be exploring a very important facet of the call of God. And honestly, we've got a lot of stuff to cover today, so I want to jump right into the um, title of the message. And I need you to really pay attention with your mind and with your heart. I'm in different circles, you know, pastoral circles, and one of the things that they say is that nowadays people have such a short attention span, you can't give more than 15 minutes of content or you lose them. But I'm like, not my family. I got all the smarties with me. And we can concentrate and we can pay attention. I'm going to say amen. So we're going to concentrate, we're going to pay attention, and I'm going to tell you why. This is a very important message, okay? But you do have to think about things that I need to share with you today. So in light of that, um, the title of the message today is this, The Called Understand His Presence. Now, if you are new here or you're just dialing into um, uh, Chicago Tabernacle today, we've been on a series in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel takes place in a very important historic moment in the history of Israel and in the people of God. And that historic moment corresponds, I believe, in a major way to what we've been experiencing over the last couple of years. So it turns out that when Samuel, 1 Samuel opens and God puts his hand on Samuel's mother and she actually surrenders Samuel over to God for his service, the Bible tells us that it was a very dark period in the history of Israel. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And when, historically speaking, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, chaos breaks out. When we look back on, the, on our nation and we look back at things that are happening, it is directly the fruit of people saying, I want to do what I want to do whenever I want to do the way I want to do it. But guess what? The fruit of it, the result of it is just chaos. And so what does God do when the world is going crazy? He puts his hand on his people. He calls his people out. He raises people up just like Samuel. He, he, he grows them in private. We're talking about privately healthy, publicly fruitful. He grows his people in private just like he grew Samuel, a little boy. He taught him to be a priest. When you're a priest, you minister to God. And, and then all of a sudden he becomes a prophet. We covered that last week. And then you start to become a voice for God. That is the plan of God for the called of God. Everybody here is the called of God. Can somebody say amen? We are the called of God. God wants to make you and me his voice in our world. He wants to use us for his glory 
just the way he used Samuel. But when we get to this chapter, we're going to be looking at at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4, something very unique happens. Because what you're going to notice, and I want to encourage you once again to read ahead. There's so much in this book. You know, read ahead and and fill yourself with all of the different um, variables of what's happening so that we can unpack it together. But what you're going to notice in the next three chapters is that the name of Samuel is not even mentioned. Samuel is not in any of the next three chapters, and there's a very specific reason. It's because in the next three chapters, the ark of God, which represents the presence of God, takes center stage. Hence, the title of the message today is the called understand his presence is very, very important to all of us. If you're going to really serve God, you need to know what I'm talking about today. Well, we're going to be unpacking from the word at Cicero online. This is going to help us to put our days and our times into perspective. So let's go ahead and read. And what you're going to see is that some negative stuff happens here, but there are some very powerful and positive lessons for us. So first. Uh, Samuel chapter 4 says this. It says, the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Everybody say, good question. It's a good question because the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? So why would this be that that God didn't go out with his people? I'm going to tell you why. It's because they did not understand his presence. Okay, that's why. Let's keep going here. Then they said, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of of our enemies. Now, in a sense, when you see the the loss that took place, you say, well, you should have done that before. Right? What What this chapter is telling us is that Israel went out to fight, but they didn't take the ark of God with them, and the ark of God represented the presence of God. So they, they tried to go out into battle without the presence of God when the presence of God was what gave them victory all the time in the past. But somehow they lost sight of the presence of God. And because they lost sight of the presence of God, they tried to do it in their own strength. How many know we need the power of God to be victorious in this life? We can't do it on our own. So notice there's this lesson unfolding here. Where they, they're saying, oh, wait a second. You know, we went out to fight, but we had no power to fight. Okay, maybe you find yourself in that same place today. You want to fight, but you're feeling like you're lacking power to fight. Today, we're looking at how to get the power of God back in your life. So let's keep going here. 
It says, so the, so the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim, which I'm going to show you a picture of this in a moment. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, if you've been following along, Hophni and Phinehas were two priests that were serving under their father, the head priest. But we know that these were very corrupt men. One of the things about the Bible is the Bible tells the truth. You see, the Bible tells the truth, and it is possible that men of God can become corrupt. You see, if I lose my understanding of the presence of God, if Pastor Jose loses his understanding of the presence of God, we too can become corrupt. In this flesh dwells no good thing. We need Jesus to be the center of our lives. How many would say amen? That is just the truth. We can't do this without Jesus. But that's what happened to these men. And so God just exposes it and he shows it that, that we can't go out without him. Let's keep going. It says, when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh, no, nothing like this has happened before. Listen to this. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Stop right there. So the Philistines were more aware of the power of God in the history of Israel than the Israelites were. See, because when God moved in power and set them free back in the beginning of the formation of their time, they understood that, that soon uh, an ark would come, the presence of God would come and be the, the central figure of all of the nation. It was by the ark that the power of God would be made manifest. And so isn't it interesting that the, the past, Israel's past, was greater than their present and the truth of the matter is, is this can happen to any church and it can happen to any Christian. Our past, which, which, which could be filled with the presence of God, could actually become greater than our present when we lose the presence of God. You see? It's possible to get to a place where you stop depending upon Jesus. That's what was going on. So let's keep going. Uh, so they say, be strong, Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. And listen to this, the ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A little bit more. When he mentioned the ark of God to Eli, so here's what happened. A man, when they lose the battle, a man goes from the battle to back to the, 
quote the temple where Eli was, the head priest, and he tells him that the ark of God was stolen. And it says, Eli fell backward off of his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. And when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth but was overcome by her labor pains. This was a really bad day in the history of Israel. And she was dying and the woman attending her said, don't despair. You have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. Listen to this. She named the boy Ichabod. Everybody say Ichabod. Now, there are so many very unique names in the Old Testament, and you can't remember them all, but there's a few that you should know. Ichabod is one of them. Ichabod is an important word, a name, because it meant something. Here's what it says. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel. Because, the, because of the capture of the ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And so how could it be that the king of glory, the presence of God, God Almighty would allow such a defeat? The reason it happened is because they failed to understand the presence of God. And I, if you're watching online, all of our brothers and sisters at the Cicero campus, I want you to listen again. Listen with your heart. Listen with your head. Because when you look at the Bible, and when you read stories like this, part of what you have to understand is these stories are God making an attempt to speak to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to show us the way that we should go. He wants to guide us and bless us. So let's pray for a deep understanding of the presence of God. Come on, lift your hands with me right now, wherever you find yourself, at home. If, even if you're in the park, in the office, lift your hands for just a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we, we stop now, Lord, and we we get around your sacred word. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word is food, oh God. Your word is you. And Jesus, we want to take you in deep today. Lord, we want to be people of your presence. God, we want the blessing, oh God, of your presence in our lives and on our homes, oh God. Upon our children and everything that concerns us. And we know that that's your desire and your will. So, Father, would you show us, would you teach us, help us to learn these very positive lessons from a very negative story. We trust you to do it by your mighty power. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we're talking about what does it take to understand the presence of God. So there's two fundamental things. First of all, 
His presence is primary. Everybody say primary. That means first and foremost. It means central. His presence is primary. The reason that Samuel disappears is because the ark was the center of life for Israel, not Samuel. Even though God used Samuel, the center of their lives, the core, the key to their blessing was having the ark of God or the presence of God. The ark had to be there in the same way that Jesus has to be primary in our lives. How many know Jesus needs to be the center of our lives? Jesus is the one who's the king of kings. Jesus is the true source of life. Jesus is the captain of the Lord's army. Jesus is the all-knowing director of our steps. Jesus is the one who needs to be front and center And we can't live out the call of God if he's not the center. When we look at the ark, I want you to know that is an Old Testament picture, which I'm going to break down for you in a moment. But that Old Testament uh, picture also has a New Testament reality. In the New Testament, Jesus is the ark. In the New Testament, as children of God... Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the ark. And so God was just trying to get them to see one day the Son of the Most High God would come and then he would be the center. So let me, let me explain this to you because when they talk about the ark of God, they understood what the ark meant. This all comes from Exodus 25, 8. When the, when the Bible is unfolding and God is actually forming a people for himself, Exodus 25, 8, this is, this is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. This is where this church gets its name. So Exodus 25, 8 says... Uh, then have them make a sanctuary, King James would say tabernacle, okay, for me, and I will dwell among them. God told them, build me a tabernacle because I want to be with my people. And we're always praying, Lord, we want, we have this tabernacle here because we want you to be with us. How many want Jesus to be with us right here, right now in Chicago? We want your presence among us. We want your power. We want your provision. We want your guidance and your direction. That's why may, may, when people walk into the doors of our church, we don't want them to see us. We want them to see Jesus. Because Jesus is central to everything. Now, here's what it says. You jump further down, and he says, place the cover on top of the ark And put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. Speaking of the Ten Commandments. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are are over the ark of the covenant law. I will meet with you and I will give you all my commands for the Israelites. This is a very, very important and powerful principle. So let me kind of break this down um, in picture. So in the Old Testament, you know that they were slaves under Pharaoh. 
And at a certain point, God sends Moses and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh resists. But when Pharaoh resists, the plagues come and finally he lets them go. And then they go in. He parts the Red Sea. They go into the promised land. And then they go to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments. Everybody following with me so far? So he gets the Ten Commandments, and while he's up there as well, God tells Moses, build me a tabernacle. And the reason I want you to build me a tabernacle is because I want to be with my people. Okay? Now, that tabernacle, uh, um, this is a, a, an illustration of it. That tabernacle would go, was, was eventually built, and then that tabernacle would be in the center of all of the different tribes of Israel. And it was really powerful because there, there are three sections to the tabernacle. There's the outer court, there's the inner court, then there's the holy of holies. In the Holy of Holies, that's where the Ark of God was. It was right in this back section. And the Holy of Holies was the, the, the core central place for all of the nation of Israel. It was the place. Now, in, now, now let, let, me, let me pause here. I'm going a little fast. Now, what would happen is that a cloud would come by day and rest right over the Holy of Holies, okay? Or sometimes at night, a pillar of fire would rest over the Holy of Holies. When the pillar of fire at night or the, or the pillar of cloud by day would start to move, they would pack up the tabernacle and they would follow the pillar, okay? And so if it was 3 o'clock, when it moved, then it was time to move. If it was, if it was uh, uh, 3, 3 a.m. in the morning, hey, the Lord is moving out, then it was time to move out. They would start to follow the pillar of fire. Whatever happened, they always would follow that pillar, and then the pillar would rest, and then this would take center again. This would be the center of the life of the nation of Israel. From the very beginning, God always wanted for his presence to be primary. He wanted for his presence to be central. Now, he would meet right over the ark of the presence of God, which I need to show you a different picture. So this is kind of like showing you a picture of the inside. But in this last room, that was the Holy of Holies, and this was the ark. Everybody stay with me. I know that this, this is important stuff. You need to know this. So when you look at the ark, the ark was, was made of wood but covered with gold. And then inside of the ark, as you read earlier, the Ten Commandments were in there. But here's what he said. He said, now put a cover over the Ten Commandments, and I will meet with you, uh, not in the ark, but on top. This was called the mercy seat. So here's what would happen. Once a year, the priest would come with blood, and he would take the blood and he would sprinkle the blood on top of the mercy seat. And when the blood was on the mercy seat, 
God would come and he would forgive the people and meet with the people and bless the people. Isn't this is a perfect picture of Jesus? You see, Jesus came to fulfill the law, to give the Ten Commandments. We can't fulfill the law, but he puts a mercy seat on top of the law and he puts his whole, his own blood on top of that seat. Aren't you thankful that Jesus covers our failure with the law by his blood and then he meets with us? How does God meet with us? Not because we're perfect, but because he's merciful. Is anybody here grateful for the mercy of God? And so understand what this means, okay? Understand what this means. It means that wherever this went, okay, God would meet us based on his love and mercy. Okay? And this, the love and mercy of God, which we know in the New Testament sense is the essence of who Jesus is. Jesus came to shed his blood so that God would have mercy. Anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus? Amen? So that's the way God would stay among the people. And he was saying for future times, because of Jesus, I will always stay with my people. But what we need to understand is that the ark of God was primary. It was central to their living. In other words, for them, their worship was all revolved around the ark of God and the tabernacle. All of their worship was focused on what was happening in the center of them. All of their choices, where they would live, where they would move, always depended upon the centrality. Wherever the ark was, that's where they were following. All of the different things, even their protection was always based on the ark of God. What does this teach us today? We can be the called of God, but if we want the power of God and the guidance of God, Jesus has to be central. Worship has to be central. He has to be the center of our lives. In other words, you and I, brothers and sisters, could do sort of what the Israelites were doing. Okay, the Israelites, they wanted the presence of God when they needed it, but otherwise somehow he stopped being central. Can I encourage you today to worship God every day in your house? Can I encourage you to make Jesus central in your life? As the cold of God, if we want the power of God and the protection of God, guess what needs to happen? Jesus needs to be central. That's why sometimes we see certain Christians and you say, that Christian is super blessed. That Christian is a Christian but not so blessed. Why? I'm telling you where you're going to find the secret. The secret is to making Jesus central. That was the lesson. Focus on making Jesus the center of your life. And, and, it, and it happened in three fundamental ways. Listen, the ark directed their worship, the ark determined their movements, and the ark displayed the power of God. You see? And so, so if, if I put the picture back up, you see that when the people went to worship, they went right towards the Holy of Holies. 
right? They went right, their hearts were going right towards the Holy of Holies. Today, when we lift up our hearts to God, our hearts need to go right towards Jesus because Jesus is like the Holy of Holies for us. Jesus is the presence of God. You know, I, I picture all of you in this room. What an amazing turnout. Man, it's so good to be back in church. Amen. But I picture all of you going home today and at a certain point lifting your hands and worshiping him and saying, Jesus, be the center of my life. And be the center of my home. And be the center of my marriage, oh God. God, we don't want to move unless you move us, oh God. How many know when Jesus is the center, there's going to be, you'll start to hear him better. And he's going to, the Bible says there's a voice that says this is the way, walk ye in it. And there'll be a step that you think about taking You say, don't take that step, take this step. How many know he's able to lead us and to guide us and that's exactly what he wants to do. But it's all based on him being the center. So the presence of God has to be primary. And we need to know that God was trying to teach them a lesson. See, one of the the things that happens with people who are called is they fail. And this is why he pulled Samuel out. They fail to understand that without the presence we're really nothing even though we're called. Without the presence, we're more like what happened on Thursday. This past Thursday, there was this eclipse. Did anybody see the eclipse? Could I see? I'm like, one, all right. Brother, you get a prize. I just want you to know. Because last service, nobody raised their hand. An eclipse took place, but we only won. So what is an eclipse? An eclipse... A solar eclipse occurs when the moon momentarily, everybody say momentarily, when the moon momentarily gets between the earth and the sun and you actually see more moon than sun. Okay? But the key is it's momentary. The moon gets in front of the sun. Now the sun continues to give light. The sun sun continues to give heat. The sun continues to be the source of life, but it's momentary. What you and I need to understand is that as the called of God, sometimes God uses us. And whenever God uses you, whenever God uses one of my little old measly sermons, it's just like a momentary eclipse. You understand? God chooses to let us take center stage for a moment so that he can flow through us and work through us, but it's really not about us. It's all about the son, S-O-N. It's all about Jesus. How many would say amen? And that's why that's why we have to remember that we can do nothing on our own. They can send me a musician. Nothing. We can do nothing on our own. If God uses you, if God uses a sermon that I preach, if God anoints a a song that is sung, guess what? It's just momentary. How many know sometimes we can forget that the, the tool is different, okay, than the person using the tool? 
And so we're just his tools. Anybody want to be used by God? Here's the key. Here's the key. He's got to be primary. He's got to be central. That's the way the called of God are used for the glory of God. So the first thing that we need to understand is that he has to be central and we have to be careful because here's kind of what tends to happen with the people of God. And this is what happens to Israel is they started to use the presence of God in a superstitious kind of way. Okay. I have a, uh, um, a quick video for you of a coach LSU coach, his name is Les Miles, and this guy has won championships. This is one of the best. He's going to, I'm going to show you something really crazy, okay? But I fully understand this being an athlete because this is the way athletes are. So you're going to notice him. I want you to watch closely what Les Miles is doing. They're playing Alabama. We're talking about two superpowers. So watch this. Watch this. Okay. One more time. Okay. Watch this. Bend down, pick up grass. Put it in his mouth. One more time. One more time. Pick up the grass. Eat the grass. Why is the, the head of a national football power, okay, why is he eating grass? I'm going to tell you why. Because something happened in one given moment that something great happened. And he happened to, I don't know how grass got in his mouth, but grass got in his mouth. And from that time on, guess what he did? Every time he wanted something great to happen, he picked up grass and he ate grass. Athletes are crazy superstitious. Serena Williams, for example, they say that when she plays in a golf, in a golf, in a tennis tournament, golf, I play golf, and I need some super, no, no, get back to Serena. So every time Serena gets in, in, a, in a tournament, in a tennis tournament, she will play with the same socks for the whole tournament. And I trust that somebody washes them in between matches. Okay, the, the Wade Boggs, the Hall of Fame baseball player, one day early on in his career, he had chicken the night before or, or the day of a, a, a game, and he just tore it up that day. And after that, he only ate chicken. I mean, this guy ate chicken for the rest of his baseball career. He even had a cookbook of chicken. Okay, why do they do that? It's something called superstition. So here's what Israel did. Now, please, you got to pay attention now. Okay? So here's what Israel did. They felt like they didn't really have to honor the presence of God as primary, but they could use the ark of God in a superstitious kind of way. Kind of like a, you know when someone says, I got a lucky rabbit's foot? One commentator actually said, this is very much like rabbit foot theology. Meanwhile, I was reading about the whole kind of rabbit foot thing, and somebody once said, hey, a lucky rabbit's foot for a person, that's fine, but it wasn't lucky for the rabbit. (laughs) But this happens. Okay, listen to me, online Cicero. Listen now. What am I talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Christians who are children of God, loved by God, they think sometimes that they could go to church and put 55 minutes in, okay, 
and then all of a sudden leave and not take the presence with them. And so six, six and three-quarter days go by, and they go back to living life all without Jesus being primary, all without Jesus being central. They're not worshiping in their house. They're not reading the Bible. They're not teaching their kids. They're not praying. You understand? And then they say, wait a second, what is going on here? Why don't I have blessings? Oh, I know what I need to do. I need to go get a blessing at the church. You know, that's, that's rabbit's foot theology. You see, Jesus loves you so much today that he wants not just for you to be here, but he wants to be with you wherever you go. How many are thankful for the kind of God that we serve? And as I said before, as I was praying this week, maybe, maybe you're married and you're not used to praying with your spouse or worshiping with your spouse. Do it today. Five minutes. One little step. Listen to me. One little step where you go to get closer to God, where you say, Jesus, I want you to be primary. I want you to be central. One little step. I'm telling you, that could be such a remarkable breakthrough in your life because when you take one little step toward Jesus, Jesus takes one giant step towards you. How many know that to be true? He's as close as the mention of his name. That means all across this world, God is just waiting for, for us to say, Lord, have your way in my life. I want you. I need you. Lord, help me. That's the secret. You want to get free of addiction today? Knowing about church and knowing Bible verses is good, but that's not what's going to do it. You want to you wanna start getting freedom in your mind and peace in your heart and sleeping well? You want to be happy uh, when you're walking around and instead of depressed and all of these different things that are, that are raging out in the world. You know what the key is? The key is make Jesus central to your life. When you make Jesus central, then everything changes. And that's what he wants. We're going to, when we're finished, we're going to sing that song. I just want to be where you are. You know, I sing in front of you bad on purpose. <laughs> I mean, not that I could sing good if I wanted to. But I sing in front of you because I'm telling you right now, the Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord. Something about a human being. There's something about a human being reaching out to God, lifting their voice, lifting their heart in worship and praise, bowing down in prayer. I'm telling you, he's drawn to that. He's drawn to it. Which brings me to the second takeaway, just a little bit more. I know I've given you, this is kind of dense, but stick with me, this is very important. Second thing you need to understand about the presence is it's not just primary, but it's also paternal. Everybody say paternal. Jesus is 
not just the Son of God, but we know he's three in one. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when we deal with the presence of God, the presence of God is paternal. He is a good and faithful father. And as a good father, sometimes he will allow his children to go through stuff because they need to learn a lesson. This is what was happening here. See, we think perhaps that, hey, if I belong to God and if I claim God, well, everything is going to go perfect. Well, that's not the way it goes because he's a loving father. It's because he loves you too much to let you do things that are going to destroy yourself. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews. It says, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? What does this mean? It means father knows best and does best even when it doesn't feel the best. So as we go to close this, here's here's what this is saying. All right, so let's look at 2020. Let's Let's look at a difficult year. Let's look at hardship. Part of what's happening is God is allowing the world to see what happens when they completely reject him. But in addition to that, God is also trying to get the attention of his own children. Because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is that we keep him central. Everybody say keep him central. That's the way it is. He's the eternal father. Sometimes people get the picture of God. We're almost done. Stick with me. Sometimes people get the picture of God that if you have God in your life, then, then he's like, you could just, everything is perfect and you could just do whatever you want. Not. He's different. He doesn't work that way. He's more like this. Like I remember growing up and uh, praise God, I had a good dad. Anybody here ever have a dad say something like this when you say, but dad, everybody else is doing it. He goes, everybody else is not my kid. Not in this house. In this house, we roll differently. That's what God is saying. God might be saying that to you right now. You're like, God, I want you to bless me. He says, I want to bless you, but you got to do things the way you need to do them so you'll get blessed. How could could I bless you if you keep making all of these other things primary instead of me? You should have no idols before you. If you're battling with idolatry and you're struggling with blessing, well, give up the idols. Watch the blessing fall. You see? This This is New Testament Christianity. Here's another thing. Wouldn't it be hypocritical of God the Father to correct the world before he corrects his own children? This is why you need to understand this when you look at what's happening right now. God is totally on the throne. God is totally in charge. He's just doing something different. So look at what the Bible says in, uh, uh, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as, in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I guarantee you, you keep Jesus central when all of this passes. Jesus is coming back. How many know it's going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory? Hallelujah. It'll be overwhelming joy on that day. Guess what? We go through trials on this earth. But listen to what he says. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do, who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In other words, sometimes we as Christians, we look at this world and we say, how do people get away with stuff? How could that be possible? People say, how could there be a God and that be possible? And then how could I be a Christian and the Lord doesn't let me, uh, you know, the Lord keeps it tight. Anybody ever feel like, man, Lord, you keep it tight on me, boy. You know, uh, people could do all this stuff, but with me, boy, you, men, you keep it tight. Someone wrote a, a pamphlet once that said, others may, but you cannot. It's part of being a child of God. Here's why. It's because number one, God loves us so much that he deals with us now. One day, no one will get away with wickedness. One day, God will judge the world. And there's no running, there's no, uh, a running away from that fact. Romans chapter, uh, chapter 1, 18 says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, now listen to this. There's a book I want to recommend to you. If you, got, you want to read a great book about the grace of God in Romans, uh, uh, on the book of Romans. Um, there's a book called Soul Set Free. Um, full disclosure, last, last time on the video I said non-disclosure. I mean full disclosure. He's my friend. But this book is phenomenal if you want to learn about Romans and the grace of God. And listen to what he says here. The wrath of God is not emotional, petty, or punitive. It has nothing to do with rage. Rather, the wrath of God in Romans is bound up in the natural consequences of certain kinds of choices. Look at me for a second. When cities are set on fire, it's the fruit of people's choices. You understand? When they're breaking windows and when they're burning things down and when it's the fruit across the board, every tribe, every tongue, it's what happens when people choose to ignore God's will and God's ways. But watch this. As Paul will put it later in the book, the wages of sin is death. But watch this. God's primary job is not to go around making sure everyone gets what they deserve. In fact, God is constantly interrupting the natural cycle of cause and effect with his grace. So we start going the wrong way. Abba, Father, our heavenly daddy. Abba means daddy. Guess what he does? We start going the wrong way. Daddy steps in. <laughs> and he says, stop going the wrong way. You know, uh, you're going to get a timeout. Do you know adults get time out too? 
And you know what? After you get the timeout, I think that you'll agree, I needed that timeout. Anybody get a timeout from Jesus and you're like, thank you, Jesus. It wasn't fun at the moment, but thank you, Jesus, for that timeout. Because you saved me from myself. Why? It's because he is a loving father. We've talked a lot. We've covered a lot. But I want you to, as we go to close, what do I want to ask God to do off of a message like this? Two things. Number one, I want you to ask God today, God, help me to take one step closer to making you the center of my life. At Cicero Online, one step closer. Sometimes people try to, try to jump and grow in God by leaps and bounds. It's not like that. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. If you're married, go home and pray and say, Jesus, show us how to make you central. You're our heavenly father. You're a good, good father. Everything that you do is good. We're going to close by praying that. But here's the second thing. I wonder if there's anyone here. I wonder if there's anyone at Cicero, anyone online that would say today, you know what? I've been around Jesus. I know about Jesus. I, I even went to church for a while, but I've never made Jesus central. How do you make Jesus central? The way you make Jesus central is that you understand that the tabernacle in the Old Testament... Build me a tabernacle so that I might dwell among them. The tabernacle in the Old Testament is the human heart in the New Testament age. Guess where God wants to be? Primary and central. Right inside of our hearts. What does it mean to be born again? You know a person is born again? They, see, they say, Jesus, come tabernacle in my heart. Come dwell in my heart. And I wonder if there's anyone here. You want to invite Jesus into your heart. Anyone at Cicero, anyone online, just close your eyes for a moment. Let's have a private moment with God. You know the day and the hour when you invited Jesus into your heart. And if you haven't done that, then today is the day of salvation. And he knocks on the doors of people's hearts. And when we open that door... And we let him in, then he dwells with us forever. We become his temple. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Is there anyone here? Jesus is knocking on your heart right now. You want to make Jesus central to your life. Online at Cicero. In the privacy of this moment, would you just raise your hand? Is there anyone you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Anyone in the room? Anyone at Cicero? Raise your hands. Hallelujah. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Anyone online, I want you to all repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. And thank you for your word that tells me that you want to live inside of me forever. Thank you for your mercy. You shed your blood so that I could experience your mercy. And I want to receive it today. I open up the door of my heart and I invite you in. Cleanse me from my sinful past.
and be the king of my future. Sit on the throne of my heart and be my savior and my master, my king and my friend. Thank you for receiving me even as I receive you. Amen and amen. Let's put our hands together right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.